You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, it's good to see you today. I'm glad that... um, that you are having a blessed Christmas thus far, at least I think you are, and based on the smiles that I've seen this morning, um, I'm just thankful uh, that God is blessing your home, and I, one of the privileges of being a pastor, I get to see God answer prayers, and um, just want you to know that God still answers prayers, and I'm just grateful uh, for that. Matthew chapter 1, speak on verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we pause this morning, and we just want you to know that we're grateful for your goodness and your grace. We're grateful, Father, that you hear prayers and you answer. We're grateful, Father, that during this season of the year, not only are families and friends getting together, But Lord, if we can keep our focus on what this season is all about, it is filled with blessings and it is filled with kindness and love. And and Father, I pray that as we follow you consistently day after day, the Lord, as we move through this season, that we can keep our eyes on what's most important. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness and your gentleness. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that can put his finger on things in our life that needs to change. And by your grace and through your forgiveness and your mercy, you change in us that which, Lord, we never thought we would ever be able to move away from. You heal brokenness. You forgive us of sins. You you heal us physically. You walk with us through the valleys. And Lord, we just can't praise you and thank you enough. I got us in your word this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Several years ago when my oldest daughter was probably, I don't know, about age two or three, uh, we went to a a large festival. And this festival was packed with people. I mean, it was just shoulder to shoulder. And this particular festival would draw thousands of people. And and Hannah was getting a little fussy in the stroller. I know if you've had kids that age and you put them in a stroller and you strap them in, it doesn't take much to get them a little bit fussy and a little bit anxious wanting to get out of the stroller. And as we're going through this crowd and we're looking at all the vendors and she kept getting fussy, you know how that works, right? They start arching their back and that stroller wanting to get out. And, 
And so I, I nailed down beside of her and was, I think my intentions were to tighten the straps up a little bit more uh, in her stroller. But when I got down on her level, I realized something, that everything that she was seeing was nothing but people's kneecaps. Her view was very bad. And if I was in her position, I'd probably be pretty fussy as well. Not only the only view she had was the back of people's legs, but you know, people who were, this was an outdoor event, so people who were smoking, cigarettes are like right down at her face. You know, people, people carrying drinks and it's sloshing or they're throwing trash down. So all she's seeing is, is the backs of people's legs, uh, cigarettes and trash being thrown down. And that was her experience for the festival. While my wife and I, we had a nice view of everything. We could see all the different vendors. We could see all the stuff going on. All she gets to see is the backsides of people. Doesn't sound like a very enjoyable day, does it? It wasn't long after that. I don't know if it was after this or sometime after that. My wife and I bought a, one of those Kelty backpacks that you put the kid in up here, and then, then you can get her up high, and it, it changed everything. She would stay in that backpack for hours. I mean, we'd go hiking or we'd go to a festival, and, and not only did she like it, but Jenna liked it as also when, later on when she came along, and they loved being up high, being able to see. And then she'd actually go to sleep in this thing as we're walking through crowds of people. And it's amazing how a change of perspective, maybe a, a little bit of a higher view can change everything. Well, I think that's what Matthew is attempting to do as is he, is he writes this gospel some 25 years later after Jesus has died, crucified, resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. I think what he's doing here is he's, he's helping us to get a higher view of who Jesus is, his true identity. Matthew spends a lot of time tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. And, and Joseph... And, and not only Joseph, but Mary also, if you go and read Luke's account of his genealogy, both have lines that lead to Jesus. But Matthew takes great care in showing us how Jesus is both a son of Abraham, a son of the tribe of Judah, and the son of David. He knows, Matthew being a, 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 a student of the Old Testament, he knew that Messiah had to come from Abraham, he had to come from Judah, and he had to come from David. So Matthew takes the time to map out for us how that this is true. Now remember, Matthew is hearing all the rumors about Jesus' identity, even 25 years later after Jesus has already ascended back to the throne. Simply because Jesus resurrected and 500 saw him alive and, and they saw him ascend into heaven has not dispelled the rumors about his identity. One, that he is the result of adultery. Two, that he is blasphemous in claiming that he is the Son of God. So Matthew is going to take the time to really nail down at the very beginning of his gospel, who is Jesus Christ? And in telling this story, he's going to give us a perspective that Luke doesn't give us. He's going to give us the perspective of Joseph. And if it were not for Matthew's well, gospel, we, we really wouldn't know what's going on in the heart and mind of Joseph as Mary is now pregnant. And this brings all kinds of difficulties into this relationship at this particular time in their culture. What I want to do is I want to show you how Matthew's account ties into the gospel of Luke. So turn over to Luke 1, and I want to show you where, where the connection is between what Matthew is going to say about Joseph and how that connects into the story that Luke is giving us. Luke's gospel focuses almost entirely on Mary, Elizabeth, and Zacharias. 
Joseph is in the background, but that is not really the focus of Luke's gospel. Now, in this part in Luke chapter 1, we have the story of where the Holy Spirit and and Gabriel come to, to Mary, and Gabriel speaks to Mary and says to Mary, Mary, you are going to be you are going to be the vessel that God uses to bring Messiah into the world. Now remember, at this time, at this time, over 400 years of silence from God, there's been no miracles, none that were documented. There's been no word from God. There's been no prophets. So from the close of the Old Testament to the opening of our New Testament, there's 400 years plus of, of just silence. And people were beginning to wonder, if, if God had promised a Messiah, then where is he? Generation after generation after generation, comes and closes, and yet no Messiah. But then, out of nowhere, at the same time Gabriel is going to visit Mary, another event is also happening. There's a guy by the name of Zacharias. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth just happens to be the cousin of Mary. And Zacharias served in the temple, and it came up for his opportunity to serve in the temple proper, inside and do the works of the priests. Sometimes you would live your whole life and this never come available. For Zechariah, the day finally came. But this time he's an old man. Elizabeth is an old woman. They've never been able to have children. Zechariah enters the temple and as he's doing the, the temple work, uh, he has a vision. And an angel speaks to him and says to him, look, Zechariah, you're going to have a son even in your old age. Sounds kind of familiar. If you remember the story of Abraham. And Zechariah doesn't believe. Even though he's in the temple, he's got this heavenly visitor, he doesn't believe. But this visitor goes on to tell Zechariah that not only are they going to have a son, but this son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And oh, by the way, Zechariah, since you didn't believe, I'm going to strike you mute. You're not going to be able to speak. Now think about that. Zechariah has this this incredible event inside the temple. When he comes out, he can't speak. He can't tell anyone about it. He can't tell anyone that that he's going to have a son miraculously. He's mute. And and of course, Elizabeth is able to conceive. And then later on, after Mary hears from Gabriel that that she's also going to conceive, but no man is going to be involved, that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her and she is going to become pregnant. She makes the trip to see Elizabeth. And when Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth, The baby inside of Elizabeth leaps and jumps within the womb. I can't imagine the conversations that Mary and Elizabeth had. But Mary stays there for three months. Now, if you pick it up in verse 56, this is where Matthew and Luke come together. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and then returned home. Now, in my margin of my Bible, what I've wrote down here is after it says, and she returned home, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, I don't know how many years ago, to face Joseph. Mary is already three months plus pregnant. And now she's going to make the journey back to Nazareth to Joseph. And I want you to know that because of the culture, because of where they lived and the time frame in which they lived, it's about to get really, really, really awkward. <laughs> Because Joseph is confronted with what he thinks to be that Mary has done and what she has done is committed adultery. Or that she's gotten pregnant by some other man and and she has broken her vows. Pick it up in verse 18. 
I'm sorry, go back to Matthew. I'm looking at Luke. If I read Luke, it's not going to make any sense at all. Go back to Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Uh, Matthew's not going to give us all of the details that Luke gives us, but the two gospels together give us an incredible story. At this particular time, Mary has made her way back to Nazareth. Joseph has already become aware of the fact that Mary is with child. Now, I don't know if, if it was obvious. We don't know. But I would imagine that with everybody's schedule, with every, all the busyness of the day, people were going about their day. Mary wasn't spreading it, but she wasn't hiding it either. And by the time she gets back to Nazareth, she's about four months pregnant. And notice what happens. When his mother, when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. See that word betrothed? We need to unpack that just a little bit. So in our context, we often think of engagement, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, someone a man proposes to his girlfriend, they become engaged, and now they begin to plan the wedding. In Joseph's day, this betrothal period was, was much more serious than just an engagement. Uh, he, he would select Mary as a wife, the families would meet, there would be a kind of a, a, almost like an agreement that would be made, and, and there would be a, a dowry that Joseph would, would have to pay to the father of the bride, and so there would be a year of betrothal, what we would understand to be engagement, but, but understand that in their culture and the way they did things, at that moment of betrothal, they, they were understood to be husband and wife. They were understood as husband and wife. And Joseph was to remain faithful to Mary, and Mary is to remain faithful to Joseph. They would be referred to as husband and wife. But yet they, they have not consummated the marriage. They have not come together yet in the marriage bed. They have not had the ceremony by which the marriage is you know, fulfilled and documented and celebrated. So for one year, Joseph would be spending his time working, earning money, preparing a home, earning enough money to, to give the dowry to her father and to her family. So this whole year, and sometimes it could go a little longer than a year, Joseph would be working to prepare for his bride. They would not live in the same house. That was frowned upon in their culture. They would not be intimate. That was also frowned upon in the culture. So get the picture. Here's Joseph who's been working hard to prepare for the wedding day when they would share a home together. It says they had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Notice that Matthew takes the time to insert that phrase. What, I think we all understand what Matthew means here. He says, before they came together. What Matthew is saying, before Joseph and Mary were intimate, there had been no breach of God's law or what was expected of their culture. Mary and Joseph had not come together in that way. And Matthew makes, makes a point to name that and call that out right here in the text. Notice what else he says. He says, before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, as she returns from Elizabeth's home to Nazareth, I don't know how Joseph found out. I don't know how word got to him. I don't know if somebody saw it. I don't know if, if Mary confided in someone and it got back to him. I don't know. We don't, we're not told. It's not important. The fact is, is that Joseph finds out that his betrothed wife is now expecting a child, and he knows that it's not his. Notice what else Matthew says about Joseph, verse 19. 
And her husband Joseph being a just man. You see those words? What does that mean? What does it mean that Joseph was a just man? Does that mean that, that Joseph was perfect? No. But what it does mean is we have a Jewish man here who has lived out his life to honor God by keeping the commandments. So Joseph being a, a carpenter, he would, he would never have his carpentry shop open on the Sabbath. Joseph would have grown up in a household where they would have celebrated the festival days and the high days of the Jewish faith. Joseph, no doubt, would have made at least one trip, maybe multiple trips, to Jerusalem with his family to offer the sacrifices. For Joseph, living out his life, running his business as a carpenter, was all dictated by the very words of God and the commandments of God. In Joseph's day in Nazareth or Bethlehem or Judea or anywhere else, for a man to be considered a just man, a righteous man, was like a badge of honor. In our day, you know, if somebody gets a promotion and they have the title CEO, or maybe they earn their doctorate or some other kind of thing that they do that puts them in a place of, of honor, in, in Joseph's day, to be considered a just man was a badge of honor. So when Joseph walks through the streets of Nazareth, he's considered to be an honest man. When he walks through the streets of his community, when he would build a table or a chair for your family, the consensus was about Joseph is that he's honest, he's a hard worker, he keeps the commands of God, and therefore he is a just man. And Joseph would have, would have taken great pride in that. His family would have been proud of him for being a just man. The community would have said, hey, if you want to be dealt with honestly, Joseph's your guy. Now, all of a sudden, Mary comes back to town, and Mary's pregnant. And Joseph is a just man. So what is Joseph going to do? He's got a couple of options here. The first option is, is that he divorces her publicly. And that would mean taking her to the center of town, calling together the witnesses and the elders of town, and, and the evidence would be put forward. Mary would be brought forward, and she would be asked, are you pregnant? And they would ask Joseph, Joseph, are you the father? And he would say, no, I am not the father. We have not, I have not broken the vows of our betrothal. And in that moment, in that moment, Mary would be ostracized. And even in Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says that she could actually be taken out and stoned to death. Now, by the time we get to Joseph's day, there wasn't a lot of stonings that were still happening in result of this, but make no mistake about it. She could have been, but in the town of Nazareth, Mary would be the talk of the community. Mary, Mary, who is now pregnant, obviously has broken her betrothal vow to Joseph. Obviously, she is a woman of ill repute. Obviously, she is unjust. Obviously, she is a sinner and needs to be dealt with. Joseph, on the other hand, Joseph, by divorcing her public, he's still a just man. Joseph did the right thing. So option one is to make this a public, well, a public event. And this happened multiple times in history. Option two is that he still divorces her, but they have the option of doing it privately, which means they would come together in a private setting, maybe one or two elders from the community, and they would have examined the evidence. They would ask the questions and come to the same conclusion that, Joseph, you are now free. You are now free from this obligation to Mary. You're no longer betrothed to her. Mary, 
Well, you have sinned against the holy God. Now, regardless of whether they, they, they do it privately or publicly, make no mistake, even if they do it privately, it's eventually going to become very public. Because regardless if she's showing very much at three to four months, make no mistake about it, month five, month six, month seven, month eight, it's going to be obvious. And you know what's going to be happening in Nazareth, right? Everybody's going to be talking. Mary walks out in the street and there's going to be whispering about this pregnancy. So Joseph... His two options are do it publicly or do it privately, but the end result is going to be divorce, and the end result is, is that he is free to move on, and he, he retains his title as just man. Because in, her, in his mind, in his mind, there's only one possibility here. Only one. I'm not the father. She's pregnant. She's been unfaithful. But then, verse 20, as he considered these things. Now, um, think about that. Joseph is wrestling with this. Joseph is having a hard time with what to do. I think Joseph certainly in this moment loves Mary. He chooses to do this privately because on the one hand, Joseph knows he has the divorce, but on the other hand, he wants to make this as easy as possible for Mary, which speaks a lot, well, to his integrity and his character. And as he's wrestling with these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, notice that, just the lineage that we just had from, from Matthew tracking Jesus all the way back to Abraham, notice how the angel refers to Joseph, that Joseph also is a descendant of David. And he says to, to Joseph, do not fear. Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll do a study on all the times that God says to his people, don't fear. Because all that is in Joseph's heart right now is fear. Did you know that one of the, the most powerful tools you give to Satan, one of the most powerful tools that darkness uses against you is fear? And oftentimes we, we give that fear to the forces of darkness and they turn that fear right around on us and absolutely beat us about the head and shoulders with it. That fear is an incredible tool. Joseph is scared to death. He didn't know what to do. On the one hand, he still loves Mary, but on the other, he can't stay with her. But there couldn't be any other options. Could there, there, there couldn't be another reason why Mary is pregnant. I mean, nature is nature. Science is science. Well, listen to the dream. He says, you are the son, Joseph, the son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to understand how Joseph would have heard this. And, you know, with us, we, we know what happens here. We know the story. We know what happens. But in Joseph, in that moment, as he's having this dream, as he's asleep, and this, this angel says to him, no, you're going to go ahead and marry this woman? Now, in Joseph's mind, there is no way to reconcile that. There, there's no way... From, from the law that you could say that he is supposed to marry this woman who's committed adultery. In his mind, there's no way to bring that together. So how could that possibly be? Well, the Holy Spirit has conceived in her. Notice this. It says, take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her, the child that she's carrying, is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, Joseph's mind is blown. What does that even mean? 
No, no person, you're saying that, that the way she has become pregnant has nothing to do with someone that she's been messing around with, that you're saying that the Holy Spirit was involved in helping Mary to conceive. How, that's never happened. We don't, we don't have anything in the Old Testament like that. Now, we have an Old Testament prophet that predicted this. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, what is happening with Mary is supernatural. What is happening with Mary is beyond the realms of science. What is happening with Mary, Joseph, is going to require faith. Notice what he says, the angel. He says, she is conceived, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, this name that he will be given, that name means Jehovah saves. God saves. He says to Mary, the angel says to Mary, or says to Joseph, Joseph, you're going to be there, you're going to stay with her, and you're going to name him Jesus. For he will save people from their sins. Now at this moment, I have to wonder if, if the scales don't begin to come off of Joseph's eyes a little bit. He begins to remember all the Old Testament promises of a Messiah who would come, the anointed one, the Christ. Could it be that, that what's conceived in Mary, could it be that, that this is the interest of the Messiah, what we've been waiting for for thousands of years? Could it be that after 400 years of silence that God has broken that silence through a dream to Joseph, through a vision in the temple to Zechariah, through a a vision and a conversation that Gabriel has with Mary. Could it be that, that God has broken the silence and he's broken the silence by announcing the fact that a virgin has conceived? Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We have divine intervention here, Joseph. What's happening with Mary, there is no model. There is no Old Testament version that you can look at and go, oh, yeah, that happened before. But we do have Isaiah 600 years prior, 600 years writing down that there would be one, Emmanuel, God with us, who would come as the result of a virgin who would conceive. That same prophet would also write about Jesus and say this and say, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, he would say that, that there would be a son given. He would be wonderful, counselor, the everlasting father. Well, when you look at those descriptions of Jesus, you have these, these paradoxes of Jesus. How can he both be Jesus, the salvation of Jehovah, and yet at the same time be God with us? How is that even possible? How is it that, that an infant's going to be born and that's going to be God with us, but yet at the same time, he has a body, and he's a toddler, and then he's a teenager, and then how could that possibly be? Well, the only way for that to possibly be, the only way for that to occur, the only way for us to have a Savior who is both God and man is to have a young teenage girl by the name of Mary conceive through the Holy Spirit. It's in this moment, it's in what's happening here, what we celebrate as Christmas, what we have here, 
is so critical to what we understand, and, and it's Jesus that we know is so critical, what Matthew and what Luke is telling us about this moment, that a virgin would conceive that, that it's in this moment we have God in the flesh. It's in this moment, this Christmas season, that we're all running crazy and going to all the events, and we're having all the meals, and we're all eating too much, and we're all, we're all going from place to place to place. But the reason we're celebrating this is that because God, who saves people from their sins, took on a robe of flesh and dwelt among us. And that is what Matthew puts in front of us. Jesus' origin, he is not the result of an adulterous affair. He is not the result of a Samaritan and Mary. He's not the result of a Roman and Mary. He's the result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. And Mary conceives miraculously as a virgin because in that moment, in her womb, we have God and man. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Why, why is it, why is it that that Joseph is told to name the son Jesus, yet Isaiah writes 600 years before and says, wait a minute, his name's going to be Emmanuel. Do, right here in this very text, it seems like we have a contradiction. Why didn't, why didn't Joseph name Jesus Emmanuel? Why do we not have Emmanuelmus? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Christmas, <laughs> Emmanuelmus, that doesn't work, does it? That's not the reason. The reason is, is that Jesus has many names, and when you put them all together, you still don't have a perfect view of who Jesus is. We have Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He has a lineage, a family tree. We, we have Jesus, the one that, that bears the name that when he runs around in Nazareth, right? When he's growing up in Nazareth, the neighbors go, oh, that's Jesus. Or Yeshua. That's him. That's Jesus. Jesus as a toddler. He's known as who? He's known as Jesus. That's the name that was given him, commanded by the angel to Joseph to name him God, Jehovah, saves his people. We have at the same time Joseph and Jesus, I would imagine, in the carpenter shop. And I would imagine that the three-year-old Jesus is out there hanging out with Joseph, and maybe he picks up a hammer and smashes his finger, and what do toddlers do when they smash their finger? They cry. We have, we have Jesus... The son who is in the carpenter shop with Joseph, who falls down and scrapes his knee. But yet at the same time, we have Jesus who can fall down and scrape his knee as a kid running through the streets of Nazareth. But at the same time, we have God incarnate in front of us. We have, we have Jesus Christ who existed in eternity past. Never been a moment, never been a time where Jesus Christ didn't exist. But yet, that same Jesus is born in Bethlehem, placed in a feed trough. Both Jesus, Emmanuel. The only way that we can have Jesus, the kid running around Nazareth, and at the same time have Emmanuel, God with us, is through the virgin conception. Period. It's the only way that we have a Savior who is both walking among us, and yet ascending to the Father. It is only through the virgin conception that we have both Jesus, who is perfect in everything that he does, and yet lays down his life on a cross and takes the sins of the world upon himself. It is only through what happens through Matthew's account and Luke's account, 
with what happens in the womb of Mary, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, that is the only way that we have the God-man with us. So in this moment, Joseph wakes up. Look at verse 24. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I think this says something about who Joseph is. I wish we had an account of when Joseph ran back to Mary after this. I, apparently, Holy Spirit and God the Father didn't see that we needed to know it, but I would love to have known it. What, what was the conversation like? I mean, Mary is expecting the worst. Joseph, at one point, was going to divorce her, either publicly or privately, decided to do it privately. Maybe Mary had already heard of that. So when they come together, after Joseph has this dream, when, when Joseph goes to visit Mary, is Mary expecting the divorce? Is she expecting Joseph to abandon her? How in the world is Joseph going to believe the story that Mary's going to tell him that when, hey, Joseph, let me just give you, let me just give you a moment. Give me a moment to explain. I have not been unfaithful. I had this dream. Gabriel came and he spoke to me and the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. And I don't even understand all of it. I just know that I'm almost four months pregnant and I haven't, I haven't broken our vows. Now listen, you would have to imagine that Mary's thinking there's no way he's going to believe that. Nobody else is believing it. And then here comes Joseph. Maybe he's walking down the dirt street of Nazareth coming to Mary and Mary's expecting the worst. And then Joseph gets to Mary, and we don't have this account. And Joseph gets, says to Mary, guess what? I had a dream last night that told me how it is that you're four months pregnant. And Mary, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to divorce you. But I'm going to stay with you because that's what the Lord told me to do. In spite of his reputation being tarnished, in spite of the fact that he could have walked away and Mary be the talk of the town and he continue to be the man who is just. Joseph, in obedience to what God has told him to do, surrenders his will, surrenders his reputation, surrenders what he wants and says, I'm going to stay with Mary because that's what God has said and it's the right thing to do. And Mary, I believe you. And Lord, I believe you. I believe that the, 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 what's in her womb, what has been conceived in her womb, is what's been promised to us for generations. Joseph, being a just man and being obedient to the Holy Spirit, goes back and continues the betrothal period, doesn't walk away, doesn't divorce her. Look at verse 25. Here it is again. Matthew puts this in for us one more time. He says, but knew her not. So, so Joseph and Mary still had not broken their, their vows, still had not broken what was expected of them all the way up until the time that Jesus is born. And look at this. She had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jehovah's salvation is with us. Matthew goes to great lengths to give us the background of Joseph. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Matthew and Luke wants us to have a high view of who Jesus is. That with, with the Christmas holidays and all that we're doing, we can get really distracted about why we're doing what we're doing. We've got trees and lights and things to buy and dinners to go to and, and all of this activity. And next thing you know, we turn around and it's January 1. 
But just like my daughter sitting in a stroller and all she's seeing is the back of the kneecaps of other people, the last thing I want for you and your family during this Christmas season is to have a low view of the entire month. To only see that which Satan would love for us to only see, the gifts and the trees and the lies. Nothing wrong with those things. They're all beautiful things in their context, in their purpose. All of that pointing us to a higher view of who Jesus is. It is only through the virgin conception that we have both the Son of God and the Son of David. It is only through what happens as the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. It is only through that that we have this idea of Jesus as both the Son of God and the Son of David. We have a a family tree, but Jesus' life did not begin at Bethlehem. He's been in existence in eternity past. It is only through the virgin conception that we have a family lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, all the way down to Jesus. Jesus has an earthly family. But at the same time, Jesus is eternity past over all the angels, seated with power and authority in eternity past, part of the Godhead Trinity. We have both a family lineage and an eternal deity all at the same time. It's only through the virgin conception that that's possible. We also have a divine origin. We, we have Jesus as living with the Godhead Trinity in eternity to pass, but then in the same moment, in the same breath, we're looking at an infant in a feeding trough in a cave in Bethlehem. I wonder sometimes if we don't lose our amazement to that, our amazement of of in that trough, the very tree that was cut down to build that trough, Jesus created. The writer of Colossians, Apostle Paul, said that Jesus, that all things were created through him, by him, for him, and get this, he holds all things together. Colossians chapter 1. But laying in a manger is an infant that is completely dependent upon Mary and Joseph to care for him and to protect him. The son of God lying in a manger with flesh on and bone and skin and hair and eyes and a mouth and cheeks and everything that you know to be a baby right there, just having been born from Mary? How can we have that? How can we have, how can we have the son of God Yet he's laying in a manger only through the virgin conception. How is it? How is it that he is both Jesus, God saves, and at the same time, Emmanuel, God with us? It is only through the virgin conception in that moment when the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary is the only way that we have God with flesh on. Church, I would encourage us to have a a very high view this Christmas season of who Jesus is. It gives meaning to your tree. It gives meaning to your lights. It gives meaning to the the wrapped gifts under your tree. It gives meaning to everything you're going to be doing. It gives meaning to the love and the joy you're going to share when you meet with your family. It gives meaning to the times when we, we take the long trip and we travel all day to see people we haven't seen in a long time. Jesus Christ The God-man gives meaning to every bit of that, but only if we see it from a higher view. 
Only if we see it from God's perspective. Only if we see it through the inspired gospels that give us this incredible story of when God was in a manger. I think there's a few things we can learn from Joseph as well. Notice the how Joseph was already considered to be a just man before this ever came up. Joseph was already striving to honor God by following his commandments. And then out of that comes a, a vision. Out of that comes a deeper responsibility. Out of that comes God's will that, that he has for Joseph. And what is that will? Joseph, you go back and you marry Mary. You do not abandon her. And what I, what I, when I see that, I see it all through Scripture, is that when you are actively following Jesus and you're seeking his will, the only way to understand what God's will is for your life is to simply be obedient to the very next thing you've got in front of you. Joseph was living out his life. He was betrothed to Mary, and in that betrothal, he's a just man. He's doing what he needs to do. He's doing the right things for the right reasons. He's not a perfect man, but he's a man who lives for God. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, start being obedient to what you already know today. The reality is, is that 90% of God's will for your life is already revealed right here. Let's start there. I think Joseph also teaches us, and this story teaches us, that following God's will will often put you at odds with the expectations of others. Just because you name the name of Jesus and just because you're trying to follow him doesn't mean that everyone around you is going to celebrate that. Sometimes doing the right things for the right reasons puts you at odds with other people. That's just how it works in a broken world. Joseph accepts the reality that his reputation is going to be tarnished, but for him, for him, obedience. Obedience was the critical factor, which leads to another idea we need to consider that obedience is more important than your reputation. Obedience is more important than what people think of you. Obedience is more important. Doing the right thing, even though it's going to be a whole lot easier to do the wrong thing, doing the right thing, well, that's more important than what people think of you. Now, that doesn't make it easier. It might, in fact, make it harder. And God has a tendency to call you to do hard things, unusual things, things that oftentimes nobody else really understands. But your response in that moment is obedience. Joseph was obedient. As soon as he woke up, what does he do? He goes right back to Mary, continues the betrothal. He doesn't forsake her. Simply because Joseph had already been following God for most of his life. This Christmas season, this Christmas season, you have a couple of options. One, you can continue to see it the way the world sees it. You notice how Christmas has been separated from Jesus? We hear a whole lot about Christmas. Don't hear a whole lot about Jesus, even though the very name bears his title, anointed one. But we should expect the world at large to embrace Jesus. We shouldn't expect that. But what we should expect are those who do follow Jesus, those who've been changed by him, we should expect those to understand what this season is really about and while gifts are fine and trees are fine and dinners are fine and lights are fine, all that's great, and you've got your traditions, make sure we're viewing all of that through the high view of who Jesus is, both God and man, both Jesus and Emmanuel, both eternal, yet laying in a feed trough as a helpless baby in Bethlehem. Father in heaven, what we see in your word defies really explanation that, Lord, you would 
as Paul would say in Philippians 2, that you would lower yourself down to the, even the state of a bondservant, a slave, that you would take among, take among yourself flesh and blood. And yet, Father, at the very same time, you are the one who spoke the universe into existence. And Lord, your purpose for coming is to save us from our sins. And Lord, I am thankful that I have been saved, redeemed, adopted, restored. And just like Joseph, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I have been changed. And it was only through that virgin conception, Lord, it was only through what Matthew reveals and Luke reveals, it's only through that cross that he bears and that tomb that he abandons that made it possible for me to be redeemed. Lord, over the next few weeks, a lot of things will be vying for our attention. Lord, may this year, may we, may we have a high view of who you are. And may we view everything that we're going to be doing in the weeks ahead. May we, may we keep the perspective on exalting the name of Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow. Help us to be filled with joy and peace. And Lord, help that joy and peace radiate out of our lives into the lives of those who don't know you so that they see a difference. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist Church.